every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, a ministry of One Eight Catalyst, where we are pursuing the completion of the Great Commission worldwide. To learn more about our work or to listen to previous episodes, please visit our website at one eight, spelled out in word form, catalyst.org. That's one eight catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this, the latest episode of the Made for Missions podcast. And I am your host, Mike Falkenstein, here for the second of two episodes with Dudley Callison with Communitas International. And uh, Dudley, we've had a good, in this first episode, we had a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to hearing more. In case there are people that are just tuning into this one and didn't catch your episode before, why don't you tell them a little bit about Communitas again and kind of what you guys do in your ministry? Great. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Mm-hmm. Great to be with you and to be with this um, crowd listening online. Communitas International is a collection, a network, a family of missional pioneers, people that are mm. out expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ in innovative ways that are appropriate to the culture where they serve. So the way that we might form church in Lisbon, Portugal, might look very different than how we form church in Los Angeles, California. Our approach to articulating the gospel, living it out in both word and deed, takes on flavors and nuances that are appropriate Mm. and that are receivable in that culture. So we're in 22 countries and 200 staff and uh, 105 churches, church plants, and church planting initiatives. Okay, that's great. And so I have a quick question for you based on what we were just talking about in episode one, which, by the way, if anyone's catching this one first, go back to what would be episode 67, because this is now the second episode in our conversation. So, you know, my wife and I, we've been visiting churches lately in our area here in South Denver. And so one of the churches that we visited said that in Highlands Ranch, which is a community just south of us, that 70% of the households are, I don't think he said atheists, but they said that he said they have no religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. So for them, Sunday's just another Saturday. So I'm curious, uh, give us, just to kind of put some feet on to kind of how, what Communitas would do. If you had a group that was starting a church in Highlands Ranch amongst a community that 70% had no religious affiliation, what would that look like? Uh, that is such a great question. Our approach to starting a faith community or a new church really begins with the idea of embedding and initiating well. So that's actually getting to know the culture as it is currently. Uh, what are the rhythms of life? What are the values? What are the patterns of interacting? Where do people find community? Where are they already doing things mm. that we could join into? The church has a tendency to launch initiatives and to then expect the non-Christian world to come join us. Right. But in reality, you know, whether it's the furry scurry dog run or it's the <laughs> kickball tournament in the park, Denver's a place and Highlands Ranch is a place where people are already out engaged in life together. 
Mm-hmm. And so one of our opportunities is to join them where they're already doing these things, being the presence of Christ in the culture as it exists already. So if we were to put a church planting team in Highlands Ranch, mm-hmm. they would spend six months to a year participating in the normal flow, the rhythm of life as people experience it right here in this context. Okay. And just learning, learning uh, where these things, where these activities are already happening, yeah. and participating, yeah, participating, and and joining into what they've already got going on, and uh, building the relationships there. You know, for a lot of us with kids, that just means um, joining into the kids stuff through school or youth sports or whatever it might be. So it's not real complicated. It's just saying where do people naturally hang out anyway. Where are they forming community now? Even if Jesus isn't a part of that, when we begin to participate in it, guess what? Jesus then is a part of it. Oh, right. And that's how we begin to get to know the culture. Oh, that's great. So this model then of just getting to know the natural rhythms could happen here or it could happen, you know, we were talking in the last episode about Scotland, right? So those people that go, they just begin learning kind of the natural flow of kind of where People in Glasgow or Edinburgh are are already doing these things of community, right? I mean, it sounds like it's transferable. Yeah, and we start asking questions like, what are the real-time human needs that if Jesus were present in this culture in physical form now, where would we find him? Would we find him hanging out at the temple, or would we find him at the dock receiving refugees landing in a boat? Where would we find Jesus? That's where we want to be. So when our staff moved into Glasgow and began to form faith community there, over time they began to ask and discover what are the problems, the real-time social situations that are posed there, and the opportunities for us to engage. And lo and behold, one of the things they discovered is that Scotland is a mecca for a lot of immigrant and refugee populations, especially coming from Muslim background cultures. Okay. So they asked, why are we not involved in that? Why don't we open the door with the hospitality of Jesus and say, not just you're welcome to Scotland, but you're welcome in my home. Oh, right. You're welcome in my life. You're welcome with my family. And how can I help you learn culture, learn language, get a job, get your kids in school, file your immigrant registration papers? So that's a way that the body of Christ can literally be the hands and feet of Jesus in a culture. That's really great. Yeah, it reminds me of something I had heard just recently about international students coming to America and it was something like 70% of those international students never make it into a home of, a, mm-hmm. of an America. Which you go, gosh, they're coming here to study and learn our culture, and it's, totally. that is really a missed opportunity. It really it. is. And I think if we live with a mindset of being sent into the world, that that doesn't translate automatically to, I'm moving to Africa. What it means if we're sent into the world is that we are aware with our eyes open to the immigrants moving into our neighborhood mm-hmm. and to be a part of global gospel-showing impact by just opening the doors of our home and the doors of our heart. So when you ask our staff in Scotland that fell below 2% evangelical last year, so they're back on the unreached people group list, as we mentioned in the previous podcast. Yes. When you ask them, why should we be hopeful about the future of the church in Scotland? The first answer they give is, immigrant believers. That's like the hope that they have is not just the historic Scottish population. That's part of it. 
But clearly one of their great hopes is around the immigrants moving in and coming to know Jesus. Mm. So I asked Mike, who lives over there in oh, Glasgow, great. tell me a little bit about why you're excited about the future of the church. So listen to what he wrote okay. me in an email. He says, I'm excited about immigrants and refugees specifically, because they are the new missionaries in Scotland. They are demonstrating a faith that is tested by persecution. They've lived meager lives in constant limbo as they seek asylum. And this has revealed perseverance in the midst of suffering. Now, Mike goes on to say, the typical Scot concerns himself with other things. It may be their next holiday or whatever it is, and they're left feeling empty. Then our immigrant brothers and sisters persevere with joy. Mm. So Mike finishes, I'll finish the quote here. Yeah, please. The stark contrast of their lives is a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. As the non-immigrant residents encounter our immigrant believers, people are quickened to consider why they don't have joy in their own hearts. Wow. So I just think that's a beautiful picture of normal Scottish culture bumping along, maybe have no idea about church, and all of a sudden they meet an Iranian who's come to faith in Jesus after getting to Glasgow. And they see in this Iranian man or woman a vibrancy of faith around Jesus Christ that stands in stark contrast to what they've ever thought about Christianity. Wow. That's pretty exciting. That is pretty cool. (laughs) Now, another reason to be excited about the church, they go on to say, is that there is a revival movement among the Scottish people themselves. Okay. So not only is there this network of independent evangelical churches that this guy Andy Hunter is the Scottish director for that, but there's also the Scottish network churches. This is a collection of missional-minded church leaders from across denominations. Some are Church of Scotland, so they've got historic Presbyterian roots, but some are Baptist, some are independent churches, but they all rally around being a missional faith community in Scotland as Scottish people. And I couldn't be more excited about their presence and the influence they're going to have on the future Church of Scotland as well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. Just hearing you talk about the immigrant Christians, right, that are coming in and having such an impact. I've often said, you know, with what we've done in rural China, that actually I think it would make a great book to be able just to go for six months and live with these people. Because in this Mm -hmm. case, you know, they actually have nothing materially, but boy, they have Jesus. They love Jesus dearly. And it's sort of like for us Americans, (laughs) you know, who just, it's just so easy in our culture to get caught up in, well, you mentioned about the Scots and our next holiday or the next smartwatch or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Are we talking about Glasgow or Denver now? Exactly. You know, they worry about some of the same stuff. Yeah, that's right. It's just as trivial. And if you ask them outright, do you have a religious affiliation? They may say Christian or they may say, no, I'm not affiliated at all. The pushback in Scotland is against the church or the institution and not necessarily about Jesus. Oh, well, that's good news, that, right? That really is. So yeah. I asked Drew, who is also there, he's in Edinburgh, tell me why you're hopeful about the church in Scotland. So let me tell you what Drew yeah, said please. about this, because he's really highlighting this idea of what people are opposed to when it comes to Christianity. So Drew writes this, many of the people I know here in Edinburgh aren't opposed to Jesus and what his followers are about. It's mostly just the organizational and institutional structure that they don't like. So he says, my friend Ian actually has some seeds of faith that are important to him. He just saw corruption in the church growing up. 
So another guy, Dave, you can tell that deep down, Dave wants to follow Jesus. He just can't separate it from toxic religion, Drew says. Finally, he says this, Lindsay is an atheist, but believes strongly in community and higher sense of purpose. She's not there yet in terms of following Jesus, but she's already doing some of the things that Christians are called to do. So you see this vibrant spirituality, even a spiritual core embedded in people that isn't yet directed toward Jesus. Oh, right. And so that's the hope that Drew has is they're already engaged in some behaviors and some attitudes and some values that are biblical. They just haven't realized that those values and attitudes are rooted in the person of Jesus. So what a great opportunity for us to introduce faith community that's not corrupt religious institution. It is genuinely following the person of Jesus, loving, having compassion, grace, truthfulness, community, generosity, living that way in the world that draws people to the person of Christ. All right. So in that example, you finding these people that have some of these traits, right, would, I guess I'm trying to connect the dots a little in terms of, so you've got this gal that's showing some of these traits, but is not a Christian. Right. Is it just befriending her and Mm -hmm. just beginning to introduce her to Jesus or more doing the community with her? Yeah. Yeah. That is such a great question. You're you're right on track with this idea of yeah. of living out the body of Christ in culture. So our traditional pathways of evangelism have always focused more or primarily on belief. And if we can convince people to believe in Jesus, then they can belong in Christian community, and then they begin to behave in distinctly Christian ways, right? I mean, that's just kind of that's right. the, the process that is kind of our traditional pathway. But that's not exactly the only way. And in some areas of Europe, it's not at all the way that people are coming to faith in Christ. So the believing community, by coming alongside them in community, meeting Lindsay at the park or getting to know her, or even through a service project, gives us the chance to come alongside her and juxtapose the motive of faith next to the motive of secular humanism. Oh, right. So she may be doing it out of love for humanity, and we're serving out of love for Jesus. And the chance to build relationship is not a chance to shame her for her motivation, but just to come alongside it and to say, wow, good for you. You could have been doing anything with your Saturday. You're out here serving in the park. So am I. What's your reason for serving? And I'll tell you my reason for serving. So getting people to consider Jesus by participating in community or by participating in distinctly Christian behavior like service opportunities really is a doorway to the gospel message that's resonating in post-Christian cultures. That's really great. So with all of this that you guys are doing in Europe, I know that obviously, I mean, we can already tell by what you've said, the kind of the next generation of what church will look like is going to be different, right? Because they've already rejected mm-hmm. okay, the big cathedrals and the big, the corruption we see there. And it's much more community. And so give us an idea of, okay, so the next steps of kind of what these uh, next generation of churches throughout Europe are looking like. Well, I want to start off by saying that even within some of the historic institution, even in Catholicism, there's a remnant of followers of Jesus that's not completely Mm. dead. So, you know, you find in these 
cathedrals in France, this core of evangelical believers that we partner with and say, how do we reach the university population in Aix-en-Provence? So I'm encouraged by that. So some of the next generation of church might carry forward the form and structure of the historic church, but you'll continue to see just that be a, a small percentage of the Christian population. What we're really beginning to see is spiritual families or faith communities form around neighborhoods. This is where we live, so this is where we do church together. You begin to also see church form around cause. So we care about immigrants coming into our midst. Well, we're going to catalyze people to welcome that immigrant population and to help them settle and learn language and get jobs. And you don't have to follow Jesus to play in that. You can be an atheist if you want to be, but if you care about immigrants and the plight of this massive people migration going on in the world, you can come participate with us. So I do think that we're going to see more and more churches form around cause, and we're going to see churches form around community or geographic locations, less around a geographic locator like a building, like a historic church building. So that's kind of a fun thing to imagine. What might church look like if you don't assume a building, a staff, and a program. Oh, right. That's what we know church to be. It is. But if you take away those assumptions, what else what might we assume? How else might it behave, the church might behave and, and act in society? That's great. And so as these new churches are forming around other things than buildings, I know you mentioned to me something about the, well, actually there's two things, right? So there's the value of kind of cross-cultural missionaries. So in Scotland, if you have North Americans, you know, there's a value there. Yes. Or again, so many countries in Europe, right? That's but right. they're, you know, Australians coming in and I know South Koreans are sending missionaries now. And that's right. So talk just a little bit about, okay, mm-hmm. as all of this is forming, yeah. the difference between ministering to Scots and North Americans and, you know, some yeah. value there. Hey, hi, where do those intersect? So yeah. God is still ascending God. And I, I think that he's going to continue to send, oh, well, we know he's continuing to raise up people to leave their culture, to go to a place that he hasn't yet told them. I mean, even just the whole Abram image out of Genesis, you know, just right. the whole going to another place to be the person who reveals this attributes of our invisible God in a different culture. So we know that there are a lot of missionaries coming out of Asian basin and out of Latin America and still being sent from North America. So what's the interaction between the two? So if we have these cross-cultural missionaries coming into a place like Glasgow, that's really wonderful. But over time, what we've seen over this last hundred years is that spiritual movement really rarely ever happens on the shoulders of cross-cultural missionaries. That's right. Spiritual movement happens eventually in the hearts of the local believer, the national leader. So until the Scottish people fully own this as the next generation of church, we hope that they'll continue to be open to cross-cultural missionaries partnering with them. Until enough Spaniards really own this in Spain, will they be open to cross-cultural missionaries coming in to help catalyze this kind of an idea of being church together. So what we really hope for in Communitas is that we bring in in appropriate ways, bring in cross-cultural missionaries that live and breathe and think spiritually different about the church and invite the local believers to participate in that, shape it, influence it to become relevant in that culture, Mm. and then own it. And that involves leader development. That involves helping people grow to spiritual maturity. That is looking for the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers that we read about in Ephesians mm-hmm. to really to give leadership to these 
spiritual families and church communities. And until they really own it at that deep level of spiritual guidance, I don't know that it will ever become real spiritual movement in a country. All right. So it sounds like that's a prayer request for you guys is that Absolutely. in these local communities, they would own it, right? Yeah. So quick question, just because of a lot of talk that's going on about, about sort of the value of cross, you know, people coming from other countries yes. and whatnot, and even short-term mission trips and the value of those. So the local people have, we just pick a country, you mentioned Spain. Right. The so local Spaniards have this movement maybe, or these churches were started by someone from another country, Spaniards mm-hmm. own it. Mm-hmm. Is that a time in your guys' mind where the North Americans or the those people just, they pull out, or is there still a place for them to continue to... <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Great question. So I think the it's better like, hey, model they've owned is, it, and that, that's yours now. Right. You know? no, I We're think turning the, it over. The better idea is that the cross-cultural missionary and a handful of Spaniards pray together about where to go next together. So you get this cross-pollination then of Spaniards, church planning in Spain, alongside cross-cultural missionaries oh. that have become enculturated in Spain. And I think that's the real potent version of church that is this diversity, this cross-cultural reality, that the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of Spaniards any more than the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of North Americans. That's right. That when we really begin to see people come together under the Lordship of Christ, we see churches that are multicultural, multilinguistic. We invite the immigrants to come be a part of that faith community. There was a time in the past where we really couldn't send cross-cultural missionaries into restricted access countries. That's right. You know, like Iran or Mm -hmm. Afghanistan or some of the other Middle Eastern countries, even in in Southern Asia. But now those immigrants are coming to places where we live. You mentioned the international student population. Yes. Well, what happens when they come to faith in Christ during their immigrant years and then go back to those countries of origin? The Farsi-speaking Iranian communities— the church communities that have formed in Glasgow, Scotland, may actually become the future missionaries back to Iran. Oh, As some of them return back to extended families, they're going to be going back with this vibrant, alive version of being church together with Farsi worship songs and Farsi-trained biblical scholars, shepherds and teachers, evangelists. And I think the church in Iran will be influenced by the immigrant population that's that's come to faith during these years of migration. Isn't that great? It's going to be exciting. Yeah, that really is great. Can't wait to see it. And a little bit about how God maybe want to complete the task of the Great Commission, and that's pretty cool. That's great. It really is. I, I think all of us involved in Great Commission ministry need to be praying for the national leaders to not just to come to faith, but come to maturity. And that mature growth curve I can't be rushed. You can't just download spiritual maturity. And yet the future of the church resting in the hearts and on the shoulders of national leaders really invites us to pray and participate in their maturation process. Oh, that's great. Then become a fully formed expression of the body of Christ. So if folks want to learn more about your ministry, what were the best ways to do that? I'm Great. Sorry, Thanks your, for asking. Yeah, your website. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. www.gocommunitas.com. 
dot org. So communitas is spelled like community with a s on the end instead of a y. Oh, okay. So go communitas dot org, and uh, we have lots of opportunities listed, even some for short term trips to go down and work with immigrants landing on the shores of Lesbos Island in Greece. Oh, wow. We have a refugee relief center there for women and children. There are places all across Europe, even in North America and Latin America, where people could look at and explore opportunities to join this spiritual movement in the world. That's great. Well, I would encourage everyone to visit the website. Sure appreciate uh, you, Dudley, and what yeah. you're doing. And thank you so much for coming. And Thanks for the time. Yeah, we'd love to have you come back sometime. Great. Good. That's great. Thanks, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on the next episode of the Made for Missions podcast. Thank you. Thank you.